0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central podcast, making theology central. Good evening everyone. It is Thursday, August the 31st, 2023. It is currently 6:41 p.m. Central Time. 6:41 p.m. Central Time. Do you know what that means? That means we are almost at the very, very, very end of our summer study of the book of Jeremiah which this summer study will end at midnight tonight midnight Texas time because all other time zones are wrong all other time zones are irrelevant all other time zones are rebellious they are because the Texas time is the time which everyone should set their clock to so for us it is 6:41 p.m. central time Whatever, if your clock says something other than 641, you need to change it now. And when you show up at your job or church and everybody's like, you're late, you're early, whatever the case may be, you can say, no, 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 no. I'm following Texas time because it's the right time. And you'll, you'll start a revolution and everyone will be like, Oh, oh, you're right. Texas time is the right time. And then everyone will change their clocks and then we'll all be on the same time zone and it will change history. Do you think that will, it probably will not work, but no, good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, August the 31st, 2023. It is now 642 PM central time. And you know where I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here, obviously in the state of Texas, Abilene, Texas, to be very specific, to be very exact. And yes, we are working our way to the end of this study. Uh, for this summer and I, I'm still trying to process what did we actually accomplish, right? I mean, we, we're so close right now. I mean, there's a time, a little bit of time of reflection and I may do this for any other broadcast I do tonight. There may be a little bit of time in each one where I, I have a little bit of, you know, self reflection and just looking back. I mean, I do know this within a three month period. I did almost, well, probably over 65 hours of teaching on the book of Jeremiah in a three month period. Now, I don't know, I don't know how you may feel about that. I feel like that, that's a pretty big accomplishment, right? I mean, what you, you can, you can argue about the quality of those messages, but that's 65 hours. No church that you know of has ever accomplished producing 65 hours of teaching on the book of Jeremiah in a three-month period, I I will stand by that. If there's someone out th- else out there who has done that, then I will say, okay, you're right. I, I'm not the only one. But I think we probably are, I'll put it this way, if it has been done, we are one of the very, 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 very few. We have to be a, a part of a small, 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 small minority. Even in Bible college, even in seminary, if you take a course on the book of Jeremiah, Rarely are you going to get 65 hours of instruction, even in the entire semester, even if it's in a year-long course, you're not going to. Even if you go to a church that's doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Jeremiah, if you're if you're lucky, you may get 52 messages in the entire year, and most of those will not even be an hour apiece. So you'll get less than 52 hours of teaching in an entire year, and you've gotten over 60-something, probably close to 65 hours of teaching on the book of Jeremiah in a three-month period. I I think that that is, I'm hoping you see, well, wow, that's, you know, and that's right there for me to use whenever I want, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I I hope so, and maybe. Maybe I'm trying to convince myself that, hey, I, I accomplished something. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm trying to convince myself that I tried to accomplish something because I'm very aware that we lost, you know, so many people who started off going, I'm going to study in the book of Jeremiah. Most of them dropped out way, way back there somewhere. I don't even know where they are. They, 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 I, someone needs to go back and try to find them because I think many dropped out, which is somewhat disappointing. But then all of that's kind of fitting because the book of Jeremiah is about one person being sent to deliver a message and, well, when when he gets to the end of his life, does he look back and see success? How does he measure that success? He knows he delivered lots of messages and we know he spoke lots of words The, the overall reaction and acceptance of it wasn't great. So you, you really can't always base it on that. All you can do is like, I know I took the book of Jeremiah and I did the best of my, I did to the best of my ability to try to bring up everything I could think of in the book of Jeremiah, try to reinforce and really focus in on very important issues that are important, not just to the book of Jeremiah, to theology in general to things related to eschatology, I tried to make it as practical as as possible because I wanted it to have a profound impact on our lives spiritually. I wanted us to all get to this moment tonight and be able to go I'm better off spiritually because I spent 3 months in the book of Jeremiah. I don't know if that occurred, but I'm hoping there was some conviction, some humbling, some motivating, something positive came out of it spiritually. But again, I can't speak for anyone. All I know is all I can do is the content will always be out there, how people will stumble upon it and use it from this point moving forward until the end of this pot, once this podcast is over, all of those messages will be deleted. Once, once the, once my time is up in ministry, they will all disappear. I'm not going to try to, you know, pay money for a website to preserve them. They're all going to be gone. They're going to be gone because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not going to try to transfer thing and uh, upload it. No, it'll just be gone forever. So um, I'm hoping that for whatever time these things are available they will be beneficial to someone all right and hopefully hopefully but there there's a little bit of self reflection there's a little bit of looking back over 3 months and what we've accomplished but we still got some hours left so i could just go ahead and call it and say hey guys we did it you know we're at the end it's it's thursday august the 31st i means you know in what less than 12 well about 12 minutes from now college football. College footballs tonight. Florida versus Utah, right? I mean, maybe I should be downstairs watching. I, I could be doing what I want to do, but I, I think that we, we we should try to get as much out of this as possible between now and midnight. That's the goal. When, once we get to midnight, I have to just live with what it, where, whatever we've done. I just have to live with it. I just have to say, well, there it is. I just have to live with it. So Hopefully we can accomplish something here. This is going to be relatively short, I think, because we're really going to focus on one thing. And I, I gave everyone an assignment to do on this. I don't think I heard from anyone who actually did the assignment, but I, I, maybe I did. I can't remember. I can't, can't remember. So I don't want to be dogmatic. Pretty, put, put it this way. I didn't hear from many, but hopefully someone did the assignment. If you'll take your Bibles and go to Jeremiah chapter 35. I know we did a little, a lot of review on Jeremiah 31. I told you to read that 10 times. I told you to read Jeremiah 29 five times. I, t- I told you to find the 15 I wills in chapter 31. And then I told you to find all the wills in chapter 30, 31, 32, and 33. We talked about the, the weird ending of the book of Jeremiah in chapter 52. We're kind of just going back and trying to grab on some, to some things. But for this, I'm not even going to say hour, for, for the, however long this takes, we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 35. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 35, all right? We're going to go to Jeremiah 35 and look carefully. And if you remember your assignments, you will see this. All right, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 1. The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, King of Judah, saying, Go unto thee, go unto the house of the Rechabites and speak unto them. The Rechabites. Now the Rechabites here are basically this entire chapter in a roundabout way is about the Rechabites. In fact, I have one Bible here who breaks the chapter down this way. Here's how they break down the entire chapter. 35 verses 1 through 6, the Rechabites' loyalty tested. Verses 6 through 11, the Rechabites' loyalty asserted. Uh, verses uh, 12 through 16, Judah's sin and the Rechabites' loyalty. 17 through just, I think it's just 17, punishment for disobedience. 18 to 19, blessing for the Rechabites' obedience. So I told you to look up everything you could and write down a summary of who the Rechabites are. Look, if you're good, if we're going to finish the book of Jeremiah tonight, everyone needs to know who the Rechabites are, right? Everybody needs to know the I wills from say jeremiah 29 to 33, right? I told you to find the 15 and 31, but I think I said 30 to 33. We should go 29 to 33 to be fair. You need to understand everything about that covenant made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, right? You need to know that. You need to know 29:11 and how not to take that out of context. You need to know that. I mean, these are some, you do need to remember the emphasis in the book of Jeremiah for the people to submit to pagan Babylon, not to fight, not to resist, but to surrender to that. I think that's important. Uh, you need to clearly realize that every time God's law is given to them, do this, do this and you will live. Don't do this and you will die, right? Th- those kinds of, of situations, um, they fail, 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 fail. So God has to finally step in and say, hey, I'm going to do everything for you. We talked about how that relates to our law and gospel study. But we need to also then figure out who the Rechabites are. Who are they? And wh- how should we approach this chapter? All right. I was going to do kind of a, an overview, uh, from using the study guide of chapters, let's see what chapters, chapters 34 and 35, but I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip that because I just want us to focus on the Rechabites here. That's all I really want to do. And I'm going to use a couple of sources. Um, See if there's agreement, if there's disagreement, because, I mean, I think you, I think you have to acknowledge, I mean, you're reading the book of Jeremiah and now all of a sudden here's the Rechabites. So what is the significance of the Rechabites to the overarching story in the book of Jeremiah? Like, what is their significance? Why is there almost an entire chapter dedicated to them? So who are the Rechabites? Well, According to the study guide that I have here, they quote verse uh, they quote verses five through eleven. All right, so I'm going to read Jeremiah 35 five through eleven. I know they skip verses two, three, and four, probably because there's some names there that nobody will ever figure out how. Well, I know why. You know why they skip it? Because we have a possible problem here, do we not? Does everyone remember the possible problem? All right. So the word which came into Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, go unto the house of the Rechabites, speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord uh, into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. You, you can probably see why they want to skip verse three. Is everybody familiar with Jeremiah 35, three? I'm speaking like I'm in front, I'm in the church, right? Because this is what I would be doing if I was in front of people. Okay. Everyone, what's the issue in verse three? And I would say that to the people because my assumption is if we're studying a book, everyone in my church is reading that book. That's always my assumption, which is always a flawed and faulty assumption, right? I'm always like, all right, church, we're going to study Jeremiah. And then in my assumption, everyone in the church will go home and start reading the book of Jeremiah over over and over and over and over and over and over again. So when I get to a chapter and say, hey, everyone know the issue, then I'm assuming everyone will be like, well, of course. And But then you realize that it doesn't really work that way. But in theory... I'm gonna pretend that all of you right now are going, first three. Yeah, everyone knows the problem in verse three. Obviously, because it says, then I took Jaazaniah. Je- I always want to say Jazaniah, but Jahazaniah, the son of Jeremiah. Wait, 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 wait. What? Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habaz- Habazaniah? Or Habazina, if I should say it correctly. Habazina and his brethren and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. So, so then I took Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazina and his brethren and all the sons and the whole house of the, of, of the Rechabites. Does everyone see the issue in verse three? Does, does, did Jeremiah have a son? Then I took Je- Azaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habaz- Habazinah, and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. Did, when you were reading Jeremiah, did you stop there and go, wait, 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 wait. When did Jeremiah have a son? Now, the study guide that I have, they just skipped that. They're like, we're not going to deal with it. Now, I have a study Bible here that at least is not willing to, is, to, to skip this. Here's what they say. All right. Now they have a whole thing here about the Rechabites, which is what I really want to get to. That's what I really want to get to. But I'm going to skip all of that. And then they go to verse three and four. Jeazaniah and Habazinah are not mentioned elsewhere. The father Jaazaniah, identified here as Jeremiah, is not the unmarried prophet. Jeazaniah must have been the head of the Rechabites at this time. It's, they, so, let me read that to you again. Jeazaniah and Habazinah are not mentioned elsewhere. The father of Jeazaniah, identified here as Jeremiah, is not the unmarried prophet. Now, they assert it as a dogmatic certainty. They just say, hey, that's not Jeremiah the prophet. This is a different Jeremiah. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't at this point in time. What I'm saying is, as a good Bible student, you should have went, wait a minute. Which Jeremiah is this, and how do we know it's a different Jeremiah? Do we know it's a different Jeremiah just because nowhere else in Jeremiah doesn't mention him having a son or a family? Or, oh, is, or, or, like, what, what would be your, what, how would you prove your point here? So you can see why the study guide just says, hey, you know what, let's just forget that. <laughs> let's, let's just forget that completely, or, or at least they appear to, because they start their study in verse five. All right. So now I'm going to go to 35, five. Just I wanted you to see that if, if you missed it in your study, this summer of Jeremiah, just so that you note that they start, so they start quoting in verse five. Now I'm going to read it from verse five. All right. Here we go. Jeremiah 35, verse five. And I said before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, pots full of wine and cups. And I said unto them, drink ye wine. But they said, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, now I always want to say Rechab, but Rechab is how supposedly it said. Rechab, our father commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall you build houses, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our fathers, and all that he hath charged us, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed. But we have dwelt in the tents, and have obeyed, and done according all that Jonadab, our fathers, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. All right, now, why? This this is just kind of an odd... Like, just, just kind of, just story just kind of falls in out of nowhere in some places, right? Like, what do I do with this story? What, what do we do with this? Now, clearly we have a group of people called the Rechabites, right? That, and that, that seems to be the way you are to say that. Rechab, Rechabites. If Rechab is, you, you think you'd be Rechab, but okay, whatever. I digress. All right. But the Rechabites. Now you have this group of people who clearly have taken upon them a lot of these very strict rules. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do this. They have all of these very specific rules that may separate themselves from everyone else. Now, we're going to learn a little bit more about them, but let's just try to think about this from a practical standpoint. Let's think about this from a practical standpoint. Throughout church history, over and over and over, certain groups arise, and they will adopt all kinds of rules, rules that that you may argue that represent personal holiness, personal piety, rules that, that seem to separate themselves, not only from those within Christianity, but from those without. And sometimes these rules are very lengthy, they're very specific, and there are very numerous. All right? Now, I don't know how, how you grew up in Christianity. I grew up in a Christianity, if I go back to when I first became a Christian as a teenager here in West Texas and, 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 and the world of Southern Baptist in West Texas at the time, here was things you did not do. You did not go to dances. Dancing was sinful. You did not listen to secular music. It was of the devil. Movies there were some movies you couldn't go to but there but there's some you could go to it was it, it came very it was weird secular music was completely off limits but secular movies was not completely off limits it was really really i mean whenever you whenever people start creating rules they become very inconsistent they become very very inconsistent you were not to watch mtv mtv was definitely of the devil um halloween was obviously a no 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 radar, radio, no 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 radar no no red alert red alert red alert it's we, we have detected on the radar Satan, and he's coming October 31st. In fact, I didn't know anything about the actual Protestant Reformation. I just knew October 31st was Satan's day, and, and Satan was more powerful, and there were teams of Satanists trying to kidnap children and poison candy, and witches were, were doing who knows what. I mean, that's all I knew about October 31st. I didn't even know anything about the Protestant Reformation, which is pretty sad when you go to church and you don't know anything about the Protestant Reformation. I knew that October 31st was also a time for fall festival, harvest festival, where the churches said they weren't celebrating Halloween, but clearly they were celebrating Halloween. Okay, but I digress. But nobody told me anything about the Reformation. It was was bizarre. But there were certain rules. Now, once I kind of got out of West Texas and I found myself in Papillion, Nebraska, then the next thing you know, I end up in a church and those, ru- those rules were even more laid out. Not only no secular music, no contemporary Christian music because it had the same beat. The beat was evil. No, you do not go to movie theaters. You men will have their hair cut short and it does not touch the collar. All right. You're not supposed to have a beard. OK, Uh, see, what else? You have to wear a tie to all services. Uh, women are not to wear pants. They can only wear skirts. Let's see. No mixed bathing, meaning you could not be go swimming at a public pool where there was men and women in the same pool. You could not do that. Let's see what else. I'm trying to remember all the rules. You do not play cards. Let's see. Uh, what were all the rules? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, obviously, no dancing. Um, Oh man, there were so many. I don't even, I feel like I'm leaving out about 50,000 of them. There was no, however, it was really, once again, it got really weird because you still could watch secular movies. Well, I, just always bizarre, right? You, you can't listen to contemporary Christian music, but you can watch a secular movie. And in many cases, movies that have obscenity or, or secular music. It, it was so weird. It was so weird. So, um, I remember all of those rules. Now, typically what happens is when you have a group with all kinds of rules, it's easy to sit back. Now, this is true. It is easy to sit back and point out the inconsistencies because the more rules you have, the greater chance of inconsistency. That's just, I mean, that's just, I mean, I mean, that's, that's just being fair. I mean, there's no way to get around that, right? The more rules people establish, the more inconsistent they become because it's impossible to try to even figure it out and be consistent. But at the same time, even though it's easy to do that because what we typically do once you see the inconsistency and when and many, what's so crazy is when you point out the inconsistency to people who have all the rules they don't they get very upset and they get very flushed flustered and they, they almost attack you and it's like, well wait, it's not my problem. you're the one who's created a list of 35 rules. It's up to you to keep it consistent. Don't get mad at me for pointing it out, but they will get upset at you. you will be you will be attacked and destroyed okay They will put you on their radar, they will find you and they will destroy you. But at the same time, even though it's easy to criticize people for that, I think we do have to step back and ask ourselves. Of what value, of what true spiritual value is there and establishing maybe some very strict rules about don't do this, 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 do this, don't do this, do this. Is there any spiritual advantage that can arise from it? We know there's danger. The danger can be inconsistency, right? There could be another danger of self-righteousness. There could be another uh, danger of becoming judgmental and condemning others. It, another danger is you can then think your rules is the true mark of spirituality and you judge everyone by it. Now, that's what typically happens. But in spite of all the negativity that arises from all of these rules, is there some positivity that can come from it? Is there, is there anything positive that can come from it? I apologize for that sound, but I realized my MacBook was about to, uh, I had not had it plugged in and it was about to die. So I had to make a rule that I must plug in my MacBook or we're going to lose the live broadcast. All right. So I apologize for that. But I, the, the point is, is there any, is there any way those rules could be positive? Now I, I, I've only got one halfway decent example of this. My, what was called, when I joined the military, you go to your first base, you have, they assign a sponsor to you. My, first, my sponsor, when I was in the military, he had a million rules. Now, he was single, but here was his rules. He would not own a television. Boom. His belief basically was that all entertainment was wrong. All entertainment. His life was prayer, Bible study teaching himself foreign languages so he could better try to minister to people of different cultures and different backgrounds. Um If he came over, if you said, hey, you want to come over tonight to our house? We're going to have, you know, some kind of meal. He, he would be like, I will only come over if we do a Bible study. He had all of these rules. Now, the only thing, now he had lots of rules. Most, 99% of the Christians, and I mean, his rules were a lot, there were a lot of them, um, looked down on him like he was crazy. Now the thing about him though, he never really placed those rules on anybody else. He never really told anyone else, "Hey, you have to do this. You have to." He just said this is what he is going to do. Now he convicted everyone else because if you looked at his life, he he I mean all he did was read the Bible, study the Bible, listen to sermons, listen to hymns, and pray and teach himself foreign language so that he could better minister to other people. I mean that was that was his life. I mean that was his life. And if he went anywhere, then it was Bible study was following. Devotional time was following. That, that was his life. That was his life. And so you were like, okay. Now, of course, you could say, well, he was single, so that gave him some advantages that others may not have. But he was very much committed to that way of, of life. Now, would there be something negative about that? Would there be something negative about... Having all of these rules, because we just read about a group of people who had a lot of rules, did they not? Let me just read it again, Jeremiah 35, 5 through 11. And I said before, and I said before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, pots full of wine and cups. And I said unto them, drink ye the wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For jo- Jonadab, the son of Rechab, or Rechab, I should say, our father commanded us saying, You shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall you build houses, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all the days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, no, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyards, nor field, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up unto the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. There are rules. Now, how do you feel when, when you meet Christians who have lots of rules? Do you immediately go, man, they're legalist. What is their problem? Or... Is it possible that a Christian can establish some serious rules for themselves and it be a positive, it doesn't turn into a negative thing? Now there's always dangers with them, right? Inconsistency, judgmental, they want to make sure, they want to judge everyone else based off their rules. Now in this case, you can clearly see where the rules seem to be coming from. The origin of these rules does not appear to be God. The origin of these rules, listen carefully, we will drink No wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us saying, verse eight, thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father. The origin of these rules seem to be Jonadab. That seems to be the case. So, so you, I want you to just think about rules and how in your Christian life, what do you, I mean, do you have a lot of rules in your Christian life? Now, sometimes the more rules we have, if, if we're careful with them, if we're not inconsistent and we don't force them upon other people and we don't try to claim that they come from God, sometimes these rules could possibly protect us. Sometimes these rules could keep us out of situations that we don't want to be in. Sometimes they could they could probably protect us. I think we can all agree. For example, I have a rule in my life. Right. I will not drink alcohol. I just do not drink alcohol. The end. I don't. Now, that rule for me, though, is not because I'm spiritual. That rule, I would have that rule in my life if I was an atheist. If I was an agnostic, I would have the rule that I am not touching alcohol. The reason I have that rule... It's because I have seen the total and absolute devastation and life after life after life when it comes to alcohol. Everyone thinks, oh, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a couple of drinks. Yeah, but nobody knows when those couple of drinks flips a switch in your mind. And the next thing you know, it's not just drinking socially or just here or there. Now it's a need. Now there's an addiction forming. And the next thing you know, it turns into alcoholism. My, my uh, daughter who works for American Airlines was just talking about a situation today with a person on the plane who clearly was an alcoholic and she was falling apart. And I mean, she was having major problems because she needed a drink and they were like, we're not serving drinks in the main cabin this early. So then she found out that people in first class were able to get some alcohol. And so she was literally going there begging people in first class for a drink of their alcohol because she needed alcohol so bad. That is horrible. There Just recently, it was in the news about a a teacher on the first day of school showing up drunk. Because obviously she has a problem with alcohol. So I have a rule just, look, I, look, it has nothing to do with Christianity. I just, look, I have enough problems in my life. The last thing I want to do is become addicted to something like alcohol or to any type of drugs that are addictive. I'm very cautious of that because I I would lose control. So I have a rule there. So for me, people say, oh, you don't drink because you're religious? No, I don't drink because I'm scared to death of alcohol and what alcoholism does to people. And I know the only one sure way to never become an alcoholic is to never drink. Okay, So so there, therefore, it does protect me and I don't feel like I miss out on anything. Now, if I would I have other rules in my life, then I probably could avoid a lot of other problems. I don't know. I have not always made good choices there. So, but in that particular case, I've made a good choice. So I think rules can be helpful. Now, the key is I can't say, oh, I don't drink. And when I see another Christian drink going, "Ooh, what's wrong with you? You loser, you unspiritual, ungodly. Pr-. Now that would be wrong. Because I don't believe scripture literally condemns drinking. It condemns drunkenness. Now, at what point do you become drunk? No one can ever really tell me because the Bible doesn't give me what the blood alcohol level is to equate drunkenness. So if you just, well, I I got a buzz. Okay, well, I don't know. Is that drunk? I don't, I mean, that's between you and God. I just know God does condemn drunkenness. So see, there would be rules could be beneficial. So I, I, I just think that when we read about... The Rechabites. We have to at least consider. So let's learn a little bit about them, and we're going to use. We're going to use. We're going to start with the study guide and see what they have to say about the Rechabites. Then we will see what the study Bible has to say, and we'll kind of just bring this to an end because these. I mean, and well, you can read the whole chapter. And learn everything about them. Maybe, maybe we will, but let's, let's just see a couple of things here. All right. God. So th- this is what the study guide says. God instructed Jeremiah to bring the Rechabites to the temple and offer them a drink of wine. 35 2. The Rechabites were a semi nomadic clan who lived in the uplands of Judah and were descendants of the Kenites. And they say, see first Chronicles 2. 54 through 55. So you may want to look that up and see if you agree that that gives us information. And In Jeremiah's day, the Rechabites came to the line of Jonadab, also known as Jeho-Nadab, Jeho- Jeho- if I can read it correctly, Jeho-Nadab, the son of Rechab. Uh, Jonadab was the man who joined King Jehu of the Northern Kingdom on his chariot when he purged Israel of the wicked house of Ahab and its Baal worshipers in 2 Kings 10:15 through 27. All right? So Jeho Jeho Nadab, the son of Rechab, Jonadab was the man who joined King Jehu on the northern, of the northern kingdom on his chariot when he purged Israel. All right. So you may want to just, this gives you some background. Right. When Jeremiah commanded the Rechabites to drink the wine, they refused. Their forefather, Jonadab, had commanded his children and their descendants never to drink wine. Along with that, Jonadab also forbade them from building houses and settling down from sowing seed and fields uh, to farm the land or to plant vineyards. Instead, they were to dwell in tents and move from one fertile pasture to the next to feed their herds, never staying in one place for very long. Now, here we go. Now, listen to this. This is very important. The scripture provides no specific reason for Jonadab's instruction, perhaps his reasoning was connected to the Bial fertile fertility cult uh, he had participated in wiping out from Israel. So maybe he saw something about what Bial, the fertility cult, dealing with Baal and and how people worshiped him and their activities. And so then he was like, you know what? Look at how bad that is. We gotta stay from anything that would be even close to that or seems adjacent to that. Th- that's at least a theory. The excessive drinking of wine was surely prevalent and be all worship In obedience to Jonadab's commands. The Rechabites refused to drink the wine Jeremiah had set before them. Now, this is also important. We see this. We see these kind of issues arising throughout the church, throughout history. Right. If you are coming out of a situation. You may then say, you know what? I'm going to stay, I'm going to not do this and not do this and not do this. Even though it may not be sin, it's still closely related to that. So if you see alcohol directly connected to the be all fertility cult and to false worship, then you're going to, I'm just going to stay away from all alcohol. You can see why. If you come out of offering meat unto idols, you come out from that world and you become a Christian, then you may not want to eat meat offered unto idols. Hence the problem in 1 Corinthians. Now the problem is it's okay if you come out of that world and you're like, I'm not going to do anything associated with it because I, I feel like it could be dangerous to me. It could cause me to stumble. I, I just don't want anything to do with it. That's okay. Just don't look down on everyone else. Don't make it a mark of spirituality. Don't pat yourself on the back because you're like, well, you know, I, ca- I, I know how bad alcohol is. So uh, all these other people are just not spiritual or wise. Be careful how you do that. If your rules become a source of spiritual pride and arrogance and you become judgmental and condemning, I'm sorry, your rules are not doing you any good. Now, they, they then say this. The Rechabites told Jeremiah that they had been faithful to obey the commands of their forefather, Jonadab, from the time he delivered them. For about 250 years, from generation to generation, the Rechabites lived in tents and did not drink wine, did not build houses, did not farm the land, nor plant vineyards. They had separated themselves from all the things as well as the people and culture that embraced all these things. Now, this is important. Now, listen carefully to this paragraph. It is important to realize that Jeremiah was not instructing the people of God to do all the things that the Rechabites were doing by becoming separatists from society. The Rechabites were obeying the instruction of their ancestor, not the word of God. So, hey, Jeremiah wasn't telling the people, hey, do this. He, in a sense, was just trying to maybe commend them for their faithfulness, but they weren't necessarily... Following the word of God per se. They were following these rules. Now that's also very important. Whenever you have, we've talked about weaknesses in rules. We've talked about some good things from rules, but this is very important. Whenever your rules, whenever your rules and your standards really become your Christianity, they almost replace God. They almost become, they become really how you judge Christianity. It becomes, that's a problem. You can't allow your rules to basically replace God and replace his word. They're great if you feel you need the rules and if they are spiritually beneficial, then think of what, I mean, by all means, think of what rules could be, could you could institute that could be beneficial to your spiritual life. That's great, but you can't then allow those rules to become your Christianity. Those rules cannot become, you know, a source of pride and arrogance and and, and all the different things they can become, but you, you don't want them to replace God. But even here it recommends that they were following their ancestor not the word of God. What Jeremiah was endorsing was the faithfulness of the Rechabites. They were faithful to the command of a mere man for more than 200 years. While the people of Israel were carelessly, cautious, were casually and carelessly disobedient to the one and only God. For this reason, Jeremiah brought the Rechabites to the temple to give his command to drink the wine in public. He wanted the people of God to see the faithfulness of the Rechabites in a context where they might be have been tempted to give in. Now, they're saying he did this to prove a point. Hey, guys, everyone come watch. I'm going to offer these guys wine, and they're going to say no. What is your problem? Because you guys won't stay faithful to God. See, they're staying faithful to a commitment over 200 years to an ancestor. Why won't you people stay committed to God? Now, this raises this important question. This raises a a deep theological question. Our sinful nature. Does your sinful nature react the same way to the rules of man as it does to the law of god will your sinful nature accept the rules of man where it the 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 depravity of man your sinful nature it cannot submit to the law of god it cannot it will not in fact the law of god almost it almost provokes the sinful nature. I think it's an important question because we've seen people submit to the rules of man, to the rules of a group, to the rules of, it doesn't matter what it is. I think people are very, can, can very much submit to the rules of men because typically it only deals with the, the external aspects, right? But can we, when, when you say, well, he did this to say, hey guys, you see how they commit. You should commit to God. I don't know if that would work even, even, even if you thought it would, because I don't think the sinful, I think the sinful nature can submit to the rules of man to a certain level, but cannot submit to the law of God. I don't, I mean, I'm throwing out a theological hypothesis that you've probably not ever given much thought to, but it is something to consider. Do you think Jeremiah did this on purpose? Do you think he set this all up as an object lesson? Hey guys, watch this. See how faithful they are? What is your problem? You see, they're the, they're the, they're the good kids. You're all the bad kids. Is that what you, I mean, should you do that to your own kids? Right. You you keep telling your kids not to do something and they keep doing it. And so you go find a neighborhood kid who always does the right thing. You bring him in, and you, you bring the kid and put him up in front of all your, you tell your kids to sit down and you're like, okay. And you offer this thing to this kid. And the kid's like, no, my mother and father says, this is wrong. I cannot do that. And you look at your kids going, why can't you be more like him? I, I, I don't think that ever works. Does that ever work? Is, is that the way you see this? I'm going to read this again. It is important to realize that Jeremiah was not instructing the people of God to do all the things that the Rechabites were doing by becoming separatists from society. The Rechabites were obeying the instruction of their ancestor, not the word of God. What Jeremiah was endorsing was the faithfulness of the Rechabites. They were faithful to the commands of a mere man, for more than 200 years, while the people of Israel were casually and carelessly disobedient to the one and only God. For this reason, Jeremiah brought the Rechabites to the temple to give his command to drink the wine in public. He wanted the people of God to see the faithfulness of the Rechabites in a context where they might have been tempted to give in. The Rechabites held to their convictions while surrounded by people who believed differently from them. Their faithfulness to their forefathers served as an indictment of the people of God. They should have known that obedience to God is more important than following the words of an ancestor as if his teachings were were infallible. I don't know. Do you think that that's what's happening here? I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know here. I... Hmm. I, I I want to read more here. I want to read more here, but we'll st- take one more step back because I just want to read what the study Bible says about the Rechabites so we just get a, b- a better picture here. All right. The household of the Rechabites is known largely from this chapter, Jer- Jeremiah chapter 35. Their founder was Jonadab or... Jehonadab, Jehonadab all right, I'm going to try to just break that down, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, who lived under King Jehu of the northern kingdom. Jehonadab apparently supported the king's radical reform movement, 2 Kings 10, which included demolishing the Baal cult and other elements of Canaanite culture. The Rechabites also promised their ancestors that they would not build houses nor plant vineyards, apparently so they would be able to remain mobile. They were devout worshippers of the Lord. The Lord told Jeremiah to invite the Rechabites into the temple to give them wine to drink. Now, I'm going to go back and look at Jeremiah 35, and I'm going to read one down to five. I'm going to read 35, 1 through 5, because uh, remember the uh, study guide just started in verse 5. So let's go back and see what happens here. The word which came in unto Jeremiah from the Lord saying, in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, go unto the house of the Rechabites, speak unto them, bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. All right, that seems that God did want this to work. Now, the the study guide kind of says, like, this is what Jeremiah's plan was. I don't think it was Jeremiah's plan. God says do this. God had, I don't know if Jeremiah understood why he was doing it or not. I don't know if he would have understood it. Then uh, verse 3, then I took um, Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazinah, and his brethren. Remember that, we don't think that Jeremiah is, is the prophet, right? We don't think that that's the prophet's son. Then I took Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazinah, and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, uh, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of um Uh, A man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I said before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, drink ye wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine, neither nor, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build houses, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any, but all your days you shall dwell in the tents that you may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our fathers, and all that, are, that hath charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons and daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed. Yes, I'm reading it multiple, multiple, multiple times because I want you to see how these people are committed to these rules and how they're they are unwavering. They are fully committed. And I ask you, is it easier for the sinful nature to commit to rules of man than it is to submit to the law of God? And I say it's impossible for the sinful nature to submit to the law of God. It says, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, or neither have we vineyards nor field nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for the fear of the army of the Chaldeans, for fear of that for the army of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. Now, listen to what happens, all right? Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying... All right, so God set the whole thing up. Now, they say Jeremiah did this to try to prove a point. I think if anyone's trying to prove a point, God's tried to prove a point. Does anyone get the point? Does he explain the point? Well, here we go. Now, 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 this is what we really want to see. Here we go. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying... Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to hearken to my word, saith the Lord? Now you can clearly see God is trying to use this to make a point. They will listen. Why won't you listen? Now God said, I don't think Jeremiah, I don't know if Jeremiah completely understood this. He probably understands it now. At the first, I don't know if he would have understood it. Okay, I'll bring him in and I'll offer him wine. I don't know. I don't know how much Jeremiah understood. Clearly, God is going to make a point. Now he's going to go ask the people, hey, will you not hear my instructions? Now, again, I just want to point out to you, the entire Old Testament is of God's people, the children of Israel, not listening to God and not hearing his instructions because the sinful nature will not submit to it. Verse 14 The words of, okay, now I'm going to go back to verse 13. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive the instruction to hearken to my words, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that the command, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine. Um, "...are performed, for unto this day they drink none, but obey their Father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but you have not hearkened unto me." I have set, sent also unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them, and you shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor hearkened unto me." Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandments of their father, which he commanded them, but this people have not hearkened unto me. So there is, God does set it up. I don't know, the the study guy makes it sound like Jeremiah came up with the idea, and I just don't think it's Jeremiah. I don't think Jeremiah was like, I'm going to prove a point here. God seems to be proving a point. But I just want you to think more deeply about it. I think the only point he's proving is that the sinful nature never will obey God. It cannot be subject unto God. Our mind cannot be subject unto God because we have a sinful nature. Then verse 17. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring up Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. And I have called unto them, but they have not answered. Verse 18. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandments of Jonadab, your fathers, and kept all his precepts, and done according unto all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me for. Ever, and that ends the chapter now I wish see there are those in their theology they, they see it in, in a very simplistic way and I, and I wish I could see it in such a simplistic way hey the Christian life is very simple do what God says and you can do it but we can't I know we got these chapters that seem to say, well, God is just telling them to do it, but we cannot do it because we have a sinful nature. Look, I I think that there is a part of us that uh, we can submit to rules, right? But our sinful nature will always rebel against the law of God. And even if we submit to the external expression of God's law, we will still be violating it internally, which means sooner or later, we'll throw off the external as well. In some way, shape, or form, we may we may be able to repress it for a long time, but we'll be violating it internally over and over and over and over and over, and then sooner or later, it will it will manifest itself. Now, the Rechabites are an example of people with lots of rules. I want you to think about rules in your Christian life. What rules do you think you should institute in your Christian life that could be beneficial? And how can you pre- how can you keep those rules from becoming detrimental in your Christian life? All right, I'm going to stop right there. Or, or less than what. We're about four and a half hours away, maybe a little less than four and a half hours away to bringing this to an end. But there's Jeremiah 35. There is the Rechabites. There you've learned all thing, everything about them. You know a little bit of their origin. You know a little bit about what they did. You understand maybe, wh- maybe why they have some of their rules. You know about their rules. We talked about rules in our Christian life and we talked about how God used them. I think just to, once again, rein- just to, really just to drive the point home Once again, hey guys, you don't listen. You don't follow. And they never will. And they never could. Just like we never will. And we never can. Until God eradicates the old man completely. All right. You can give me your thoughts on the Rechabites. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We're about four and a half hours away. From finishing our study in the book of Jeremiah, we went back to 35, did a little bit of work there. We've already finished it. This is all just extra. This is just extra stuff, right? This is bonus material. This is just like, oh, I think we skipped a little bit here. I think we skipped a little bit there. I don't think we really covered that. And I'm just circling back around trying to cover some of these things that I don't think we did a good job on. So there you have it. What we may try to do. We may try to do at least one more tonight. Um, well, I know we're going to do at least one more. We may try to cover 36. We may try to do some work on 36. Who knows? We'll just, we'll just see what we can do. We'll just see what we can do. But there we go. It's 7.37 um, p.m. We'll take a little bit of a break and I'll be back before you know it. I'll turn on the microphone and we'll, we'll do, we'll just do some more work. And some of this is just going to be these like little studies like this, just grabbing little parts and just trying to give you some practical things. So at least for this evening, until the next time we talk, a practical thing is to think about how rules have, what, what place have rules played in your Christian life? I know they have. I know you've grown up. If you grew up in a Christian home, there were rules, there were standards, how did that, did that help? Did that hurt? You've gone to churches where there's rules, there's expectations. Did that help? and did that hurt? How did, how did the rules hurt you? How did the rules help you? How did you misuse the rules? How did you correctly use them? What rules do you currently have now that you cannot dogmatically say, and if you, and look and if you try to make your rules God's rules, that's really when it becomes a problem. All right. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. And with all of those names, if I was saying any of them incorrect, I do apologize. Um, yeah. And I think there was one I was definitely messing up on, but I think most of them I got right. All right. Thank you for listening. We'll be back uh, soon to bring this summer of 2023, the book of Jeremiah study to hopefully some kind of a Well, it's going to be a conclusion. I don't know if it's going to be dramatic, but it's going to be a conclusion. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.